Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk screaming deals. And by screaming deals, I do mean the Handlebar, which, if you don't know, is a craft beer bar and restaurant right here in Chico, California. They're located on the south end of town at 2070 East 20th Street. And they have an incredible happy hour seven days a week, where from 2 to 6 p.m., you get a dollar off each and every one of their 28 draft beers. It's really a great deal. Again, that's the Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street. Go check out that happy hour. And here's the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a podcast about the worlds of craft beer, where each week we give you recommendations on what to or not to watch and uh, drink. My name is Max Minardi. My name's Johnny Summers. Welcome to the program. I almost said watch and see. So we're off to a good start. This week, our review of a film called The Creator. It's a sci-fi epic set in the not-so-distant future, I think it's 2055, that follows John David Washington's Joshua Taylor on a mission to find and destroy a weapon created by an advanced AI that has the potential to turn the tides of a calamitous war between man and machine. But before we get to any of that, Johnny, tell the listeners what we're drinking this week. Uh, yeah, we are drinking beers from Cellar Maker Brewing out of San Francisco, California, and recently distributed to Chico, California. Super stoked on that. Beer number one is a uh, smoked porter called Coffee and Cigarettes. That's 7.7% ABV. Beer number two, as is appropriate with the format of this podcast, is mm. called Highway to the Danker Zone. Nice. It is a hazy West Coast double IPA that's 8.4%. To find our podcast episodes going all the way back to 2016, go search for Fresh Hop Cinema on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. If you like the show, which we hope you do, please take five seconds and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and definitely let us know you did that. Shoot us a text to brag about that five-star review or with feedback about the show, 530-433-0839. Again, the number for the the podcast is 530-433-0839. To hang out with us on social media, search Fresh Hop Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or Untapped, or just head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com. All right, man, let's talk Patreon. Um, I am very excited about Patreon. I think sometimes we get so in the zone of just repeating all of the stuff that I forget how cool Patreon actually is, which is to say, very cool. It's It's this awesome thing that was invented years and years ago, probably like like 15 years ago, Patreon came about, and we started one when we started this show, basically, as a way of sort of involving people that we hoped would enjoy the show, uh, essentially as a way of giving back to them and to keep our show on the podcast airwaves. So in exchange for things like bonus content that we record extra episodes for, uh, exclusivity to our special events, and all sorts of things in between, you give us a couple bucks, we give you that stuff, and it's really easy to sign up by going to patreon.com slash Cinema. There's a lot more to say about it, like we could talk about the specificity of our bar hangs, but in the interest of A, our timeline today, because uh, I've got a hard out for a little performance tonight, and B, if you've heard this show ever before, we've talked about it uh, ad nauseum, so you can go and listen to that if you want more details, or you can just go to patreon.com slash freshhopcinema, and you can find out all of the information there. Johnny, am I missing anything about Patreon? I don't think so. That's it. 
They're fun. They're super secret. You can't tell your friends where we hang out. It's right. a good time. Okay, then let's get into beers, man. I know you, you've been, I think you've had these beers um, at least for a week, but then we prioritized some beers that I brought back from Washington after getting back from tour last week. So g- before we even get into the specifics, like you're jazzed about this and I want to know more. I am. I've been a big fan of Cellamaker Brewing for probably five, six years now, I'd say somewhere in there. Um, they are always a staple for me. Anytime I'm in the city, there's a few places that I really want to go to the city being San Francisco. Uh, and it was kind of a pregame ritual. Anytime I was down there for a giants night game that we would go and have beers and snacks and stuff at cellar makers location there in San Francisco, and then maybe go to city beer, another great spot down there. But yeah, a lot of nostalgia tied to this brewery as well as these beers. Um, and also, uh, they've always stood out to me just for their quality. Uh, they have made across the board stylistically some of the upper tier beers on the West Coast, in my opinion. So the fact that they recently got distributed here and uh, were available at SNS Produce, shout out to Andy, keeping mm-hmm. the nice. shelves just stacked. It's ridiculous. Uh, for the first time I've ever seen them distroed in Chico, the nostalgia came flooding back and I was very excited uh, that I got to share them with you. So super stoked on that and just feel lucky to be able to buy these beers in my hometown. Wonderful. From the Cellar Maker website, we produce our beers in small batches, one beer at a time. It is our goal to keep your taste buds intrigued by constantly producing different flavors. To us, making the same three to four beers all the time would be boring. We hope you feel the same way. Our limited output and choice to abandon the common concept of a set production schedule will allow us to constantly experiment with different hops, barrels, and yeasts. Now, despite that, Johnny, the beer that we are drinking first is one that you have been a longtime fan of. Is that right? Yes. Big, big fan. Tell me about it. What's the beer? It's coffee and cigarettes. It's a smoked coffee porter that's 7.5%. And from their website, I read, a lightly smoked coffee porter made with a touch of German beechwood smoked malt as well as high-quality English malts to create a chocolatey, roasty base beer. Then add two pounds of sight glass Ethiopian gogogu coffee per barrel for an intense but refined coffee character. I don't know that we've ever said sight glass on two separate episodes consecutively. We did a beer, right? a beer last week called sight glass. That's, that's a funny little tie in. Great. Okay. Do you want to describe the label? I feel like this is your kind of beer label uh, or can, can art to some extent. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of an unhinged animation type of illustration mm-hmm. where you've got this, oh, what would you call that? Kind of a light brown, uh, almost gray brown background yeah 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 (laughs) and we've got this this coffee mug that looks just completely unhinged just the coffee mug yeah yeah has an animated face and it looks like it's grinding its teeth like it's had too much coffee its eyes are just kind of bugging out uh looks like maybe a diner mug that has been used and abused for the last 25 (laughs) years and somehow not broken and it's just like this coffee mug looks like it's seen too much for sure uh and then we've got this uh, ashtray with eyes that are kind of half closed with the scowling look of He's just, none too pleased. He's kind of sick of the coffee mug's shit is the vibe that I'm getting. Yeah, he looks very bitter and jaded like people have been ashing cigarettes in his head for the last 45 years. Yeah, it's great. It very um, almost adult swimmy kind of reminds yeah. me of... Um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force almost type animation. And then, of course, coffee and cigarettes is in you know the tyke tyke 
type, sure. text, words are hard, man. The letters that spell coffee and cigarettes are coming out of a, a, a string of smoke coming out of a cigarette that's nestled in between the ashtray's eyes. Yeah, that's a very great description, man. I couldn't have done it better myself. How long ago was the first time you figure you had this beer? Like for the very first time? Probably six years ago. Yeah, okay. And the last time you had it? Um, I want to say two years ago, I was down there for a baseball game and I went to Cellar Mark Maker and they actually had barrel aged coffee and cigarettes mm. on tap. And it was like 13% aged in bourbon barrels. All it was right. ridiculous. That's probably great. Well, I'm, I'm stoked to try it for the first time. And, and like you mentioned before we started rolling today, I'm also equally excited to see kind of how your palate has or hasn't changed with respect to your enjoyment of this beer. I, I have no doubt you're probably still going to like it, but I wonder if it's going to remain sort of at the, at the upper echelon that it has been in your nostalgic brain for this long. Have you tried it yet today? Yep. All right. Give me your thoughts. The coffee's more pronounced than I, I recall, but I, I find that quite redeeming. I'm really enjoying the amount of that um, Ethiopian coffee that is adding some, some brightness and a little bit of fruitiness to the, mm. the coffee profile on this. Um, it's as good as I remembered. So there's that. It is just very straightforward. No, it's pulling no punches. This beer knows exactly what it is. It's a very classic style um, with the addition of some some specialty grade coffee that really elevates kind of a classic porter. Uh, you know, smor- smoked porters and porters have been around forever. And I love what the coffee does to it, especially coffee of that caliber. Um, it just strikes such a great balance. There's one thing that I love about this beer that probably I loved then and I still love now is that it is not too sweet. It does not stray into something that is even remotely uh, desserty. It's got, you know, kind of a bitter, you know, backbone, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And that coffee does nothing but accentuate that. It's malty, it's roasty, it's a little chocolatey, but it's all on like the bitter to just super you know, classic porter flavors that I, I really like uh, in a dark beer. Obviously, I wish it was a stout. I wish it was thicker. But for what it Wait, is... Wait, why obviously? Uh, I think, I think I'm think i on record every time we do a porter. I just wish it was a stout. I think that's just a fact. But there's no getting around that. So I would say porters just have a stylistic handicap that they are not stouts. But that is my sole opinion that does not reflect the opinion of Max Minardi or <laughs> the official <laughs> podcast. That's just how I feel, man. I wish every every porter was a stout. That's a crazy but, argument to make. Like there whatever. It doesn't matter. I've still got to talk about my thoughts on this in a minute. But I do I think mean, that's if you have the choice stance. to make a porter or a stout, you should just make a stout. But it's okay. All right. People make great porters and they're not as thick and chewy and it's whatever. I still love this beer in spite of its limitations of not being a stout. You know, it is what it is. It's so hard for me not to talk about that now. Okay. I like a lot of what you're saying. It's 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 very good. I actually don't think I love it. I've had a sip now. There's there's quite a bit of that smoky characteristic. I agree with you. It's not overly sweet, but I'm finding a little bit of dissonance between some of those fruity notes you mentioned from that Ethiopian coffee and the more bitter sort of chocolatey notes that I'm getting as well. I actually think this would have been better served with more of a an earthy, chocolatey, less bright coffee, like something like a Colombian bean, I think would have been a really nice touch because there is something that's not quite completely harmonious in the flavors that at least I tasted on my first drink. 
I also will say, and don't take this and run with it, it is not quite robust enough in terms of body to really make me feel satisfied either. Now, what I'm not going to say is that that is the fault of it being a porter because there have been plenty of porters that I feel are completely satisfactory with regards to the mouthfeel or the body or the, the, the heft of it. But there, maybe it's the carbonation here. Maybe it's the imbalance between the higher ABV, which could also be lending to the sweetness, by the way. Um, but whatever it is, there's just something that's not quite in line with the rest of the beer. So I'm going to go back for a second drink. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I know I'm not going to love this beer, but I do think I will quite enjoy it unless something dramatic happens on my second drink. Yeah, man, you gotta swirl it around, get some of those bubbles out of there, let it warm up a little bit. It'll 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 get you. I'm telling you. I do think that uh, you know this isn't your granddad's coffee and cigarettes. You know, your granddad was sitting on the front porch of his farm, smoking Marlboro Reds, drinking Folgers. Yeah. This is uh, this is a, a gentleman's coffee and cigarette at a specialty coffee shop. Yeah, sipping some imported coffee, direct trade from Ethiopia, American spirits. With a nice, uh, yeah, organic sure. American spirit. Not sure. the menthol, because no. it will disrupt the flavor of the coffee. You're talking hipster coffee and cigarettes <laughs> here, my guy. This is this is Carhartt beanie level specialty coffee and yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, we're, we're talking Pacific Northwest coffee. 100%. Yeah. Um, second drink, I'm, I'm still sort of in the same boat. I'm actually not a huge fan of the smokier qualities of this. I, I don't think it's lending much to the enjoyment of the rest of the flavor. Uh, truthfully, that's how I feel about actual cigarettes and coffee. I think if, if you wanted a way to, I think the way to, if you're going to smoke, which you probably shouldn't, but if, if you have to, and you want to drink coffee and you want to have that weird thing where you're like, Oh, it's the best in the morning. It's like coffee and cigarettes. Fine. But do it with shitty cigarettes and shitty coffee. Cause if you, whatever the cigarette is, um, it's going to mess up your palate, your taste buds. You're not going to appreciate the nuances of any craft coffee or single origin bean or anything if you're destroying your mouth with a cigarette. And I kind of think, granted, I'm I'm 99.9% sure this beer was not made with any cigarettes, but the, the, the qualities of that smokiness do get the point across if, mm-hmm. if they put the idea in your head of coffee and cigarettes. It's not too much of a stretch to be like, yeah, there's a smoky quality and there's a coffee quality. And I just think that the dissonance between the the bright fruity bean from that Ethiopian coffee and and this smokiness, wherever they derive it from, is not a relationship that is, uh, you know, not a match made in heaven, so to speak. Yeah, that's fair. That's why you want to drink crappy coffee when you're smoking cigarettes because it just it's not going to taste better. It's not going to taste worse. My rule of thumb would be that's why you want to drink good coffee and not smoke cigarettes. But you know, different different strokes, different folks, I suppose. Um, That'd be fun uh, bonus content. What's we'll that? Just start smoking cigarettes again and, and re- review coffees and how they pair with different cigarettes. Listen, man, I had a very, you know, in retrospect, dumb year where I thought it was cool to smoke for a bit. And I'm I'm very grateful I was able just to drop it quick. Uh, but no, I am not interested in going back to that at all. Yeah, me neither. I've been quit smoking for quite some years now. I yeah. thought it was pretty dumb when you started, but I respected it. You, yeah, I, you're, I appreciate that. You should not have respected it. You should have punched me in the face. I'm like, stop. For so many reasons, this is a dumb idea. But fine. Eh. Um, you're in your 20s. You have to do dumb shit. <laughs> back to this beer. I, I think I'm, I'm going to give it one more drink uh, just to kind of solidify my thoughts. I'm, I'm pretty close to landing on my rating out of 10. Do you have anything that we haven't explored that you feel needs to be discussed? 
I think temperature is a big factor with this beer. I would love this probably 10 degrees warmer than it even is right now. And mine's been out of the fridge for probably 10, 15 minutes. So mm-hmm. I think the closer to room temperature you can drink this, the better it's going to be. That that would be a my take. What's um, gonna what's gonna change? I think it's gonna just blend a little bit better and have a bit more mellowness. Like the the coldness of it adds some sharp edges or sharper edges. Sure. I don't think they're it's really abrasive in any way, but I think it kind of rounds out some of those flavors and, and softens it up a bit if you drink it at a, a warmer temperature. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Do you want to go the higher rating first or the lower rating first? I'll go first. Okay. What you got? Okay. So for me, this beer is immaculate. It's one of my favorite porters of all time and I am super biased and I don't care. You're here for my opinion. Yeah. My opinion is this beer is a 9.3. 9.3. For me, it's a four. I swung wildly from where I first thought I was going to land. And the more I drink it, and I will say for that last little bit, I was letting it warm up. I was trying to warm it up. Because I've got, you know, I got my my classic hotel room, you know, glass cup here. Your plastic cup? No, it's glass. Um, Ooh. Yeah, but I was, you know, trying to warm it up, and and even with a little, it was noticeably warmer. Uh, and while what you're saying probably did happen, it wasn't enough for me to, you know, didn't wildly change my impression of the beer or anything flavor wise. It was still all the flavors we have been discussing, just, uh, yeah, a little bit more, a little bit softer, a little bit, um, yeah, rounded off, so to speak. But I, yeah, I don't, it's the smoky thing. It doesn't work for me. Um, the same is true pretty much anytime I have a Rouch beer, like any type of smoke beer is just, it's not something that I dig. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I wish I would have liked it more, but that is, you know, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm at a four on this thing. I mean, that's wild to me, but Okay, I'll take it. That's just more coffee and cigarettes for me. I suppose that's true. Once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. Uh, if you've tried coffee and cigarettes and you want to give us your take, please do get in touch. You can send a spicy text to us at 530-433-0839. We do love feedback. Again, our number here is 530-433-0839. And for the love of God, if you even slightly enjoy this podcast, help us out by dropping a quick rating on whatever platform you're currently hearing our succulent voices through. That's right, you succulent man. It's <laughs> as easy as tapping the screen on that phone that's already in your hand. Yeah. I know it is. Don't lie. You're always on your phone. We all are. Uh, just tap that phone a few more times than you probably are already doing. Uh, it's such little effort. It's ridiculous. You have no excuse to not do it other than you're just a bad person. Uh, it really is the best and, quite frankly, one of the only ways for us to get this show in front of new listeners. So please, go Get that review done and brag about it. Remember the phone number, 530-433-0839. Coming up next is a trailer for The Creator. It's been out for a few weeks, but just in case you haven't caught up with it in theaters, don't worry. There are no spoilers on our next segment, so don't go anywhere. When the war started, they protected me. Took better care of me than humans would have. They're not people, Maya. It's just programming. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win.
Yeah, it's just a kid. Are you going to heaven? No. You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. So we're the same. We can't go to heaven because you're not good. And I'm not a person. Do you have any idea what the thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. Whose side do you want, huh? What do you want, sweetie? For robots to be free. Oh, we don't have that in the fridge. How about ice cream? <laughs> All right, again, that was the trailer for The Creator, and this is the uh, Wikipedia synopsis, just the first part. Sometimes Wikipedia spoils the whole movie, but I stopped, obviously, before we got there. Set in 2055, after a nuclear detonation in Los Angeles and a war against artificial intelligence, an ex-Special Forces agent is recruited to hunt down and kill Nermata, the creator, who has developed a mysterious weapon with the power to end the war. This was directed and co-written by Gareth Edwards with some help on the writing by Chris Weitz. Stars John David Washington as that uh, that special forces agent Joshua Taylor. We should also shout out Madeline Univoyles, who plays Alfie or Alpha O. It gives it away in the trailer. She is the weapon that he is um, tasked with destroying, and then ultimately has to war with whether or not he will go through with this. He has a wife who is played primarily in flashback by uh, Gemma Chan. Her name's Maya. Allison Janney shows up as Colonel Howell, who is sort of in charge of. She's like the heart. It's Allison Janney. She's good at being cast as like the hard ass who is, you know, she's essentially the dude. She's the military guy from Avatar. Yep. Uh, I can't think of his name right now, but that's exactly, there's a lot of parallels between that movie and a bunch of other movies. And I'm sure we'll talk. She about was it. a buzz cut away. Totally. Um, there's a few other people I want to shout out here. Um, lastly, before we get into it, there was Ken Watanabe. He plays Haroon. He is a simulant, which is what, uh, you know, we're going to get into some terminology here, but he's, um, He's, he's, he's AI. He's a machine that is sort of decked out in a human skin for the most part, except the back of his head. Uh, this film came to theaters on September 29th. It's two hours and 13 minutes long. Johnny Summers, uh, what'd you think? Let's just get into the movie. We can, I think there's enough episodes of us talking about our relationship to sci-fi and I'm sure we'll, you know, unveil those things a little bit more in the natural course of our discussion. So let's just get into this. What did you think of the creator? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so the creator was visually stunning. It had things to say, maybe that necessarily weren't brand new. Mm -hmm. A lot of the the aspects of this movie felt uh, very homagey, verging on derivative. Mm -hmm. um, overall, it was entertaining. Some of the performances were written so flatly that the I'm not sure. I, would, I wanted to say at first that it was just bad acting, but in hindsight, you know, thinking about this movie after I watched it last night, 
it kind of comes down to, I mean, they delivered the lines as best they could with what they were given. You got any context uh, for me on that? Who are you thinking of? Get or can you uh, that? Yeah, early in the film and just a lot of the interactions, there's a lot of very black and white conversations where information's being laid out. And like within the first five minutes, mm -hmm. it's just John David Washington saying, I can't talk right now. I'm undercover. Yeah. And it's just, it's just stuff like that where it's bad writing bordering on cheesy and lazy that really kind of those lines being delivered took me out of what is a very meta concept, high concept plot dealing with some very complex issues that fall into, you know, the, the moral, the philosophical, the, the very complex issues. So to have that kind of presentation be a little bit dumbed down and poorly written and poor, quite frankly, poorly delivered. But again, that's not the actor's fault. Those circumstances really distracted me when I should have been getting more invested and made me slide the wrong way on this movie. And I think they didn't add anything to the entertainment value. I think science fiction movie and fans and moviegoers are expecting a certain level of maturity in the writing and the delivery. And I think that this movie fell short on that in a lot of ways. I like the idea of this movie and I liked a lot of parts of this movie. My main gripes are with the execution and the writing overall. I thought it was pretty good and all day long. It feels like a, like a 6.3 it's an interesting time to be dealing with science fiction because I think mm -hmm. it's the first time we've been this close to some of these ideas feeling like they are present day issues. And I'm, I'm with you on some of this. I think that it's a movie that is treading old ground for sure in a lot of ways, but also specifically as it pertains to AI, these are issues that are more and more on the minds of people in everyday life. And in that respect, I think this is talking about some new stuff. I think when it comes to, at least analytically or, or critically thinking about sci-fi movies, there's a couple of questions that I at least ask, which are something along the lines of, you know, is this movie saying something new? If so, what is it saying? And then on another level, is it not saying something new? And if not, why are we, why are we to be invested in this story? And oftentimes in science fiction, that comes down to the visual or world building delivery of what could be an age old story. I think this movie succeeds very strongly on the latter point. It's it's visually incredible, like you said. The world building is great. Like you immediately understand. Despite, I mean, you have to go through some of this expositional stuff that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think it does all that really well. It's it's one of the most gorgeous movies I've seen in a long time from a from a visual effects perspective. There's a mm -hmm. there's a giant weapon that's been created by humans called Nomad. And it, it just kind of hovers. It's it's ginormous. And its goal is to find or, or, yeah, like kind of locate and destroy simulants or other AI. And it just kind of cruises around the globe with these like really, really like almost tractor beam-esque laser looking track. Like little, you know, if you see it from the sky, it's like a grid pattern. And then it launches missiles. And it's 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 horrifying. It's huge. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's awe-inspiring in a lot of ways. The, the way that they integrate machinery into these these actors with the simulant stuff, the, the little spirals they have behind their necks looks incredible. Uh, the action looks pretty good. I think this movie's great on that front. I also think it does a pretty good job addressing some of these issues. There was a movie that came out, um, I should have looked it up. I don't remember when it came out, but it was, you know, Sector 9. It was sort of a movie about humans and aliens coexisting. And 
mm-hmm. a movie that posed the moral question, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Like, are the monsters really monsters or, or have we been the monsters all along? This movie uh, asks that question and then answers it pretty quick. Like, there's no mistaking that the simulants and the AI are the are the higher evolved species. Like, it becomes clear they're not really instigating any attacks. They're just trying to live. And through Alice and Janney and some of her other military compatriots and, and humans at large, uh, it's clear that we are the bad guys. So while that could have been the most interesting concept, I think it's solved pretty quickly, which yeah. could be where the movie suffers from a loss of nuance. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where it will lose a couple points f- from me. But the rest of it, you know, it unfolds in a fairly predictable way. I don't think the screenplay is all that inventive, but I really did enjoy it. You know, it's 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 a plus, it's a two-hour plus movie, which is, uh, you know, you kind of got to earn that, I think, to some extent, especially if you're, you know, if you're counting on people to go see it in a theater these days, you got to really want it. Um, this movie's made back almost its production budget of $80 million. I think it's at about seventy nine at the time of this recording. I, I thought it was good, man. I... I'd probably recommend people see it. In fact, I suppose I have a platform for that. So yes, I recommend people see it. For me, it's a solid seven. I really, really dug it. All right. And that's where I'm at on the creator. Yeah, I actually had a note. I took some notes in my phone. I was very alone when I saw it. And uh, I made a note 23 minutes in. The plot seems overly simple and almost dumbed down at this point. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed for any sort of nuance. And I think part of that, uh, disappointment was the fact that those that particular big question was not even involved in the stakes of this movie. It was made so clear who was good and who was bad early on. There wasn't enough time to build empathy for either side. You know, it was totally. just no empathy for the humans. They're obviously the bad guys, which makes it to where you have empathy for the side that they want you to have empathy for immediately without any, there's no nuance to the human side of it. And it would have been nice to have at least a compelling argument for why we should care about this conflict at all, instead of it just be this very, very polarized conflict right out the gate. Well, I think to some extent, and like you could make the case that maybe we are to springboard off of the idea that, hey, well, like we're humans, like obviously we should care because AI is in our day-to-day life. And like I said, it's not a reach for us to assume that maybe one day, you know, we, we will lose to AI if we keep it up. Like, mm-hmm. So like maybe that's enough. Like maybe that's why we should care about this conflict. But this movie takes the short road, which you hinted at is basically that John David Washington's character is undercover and falls in love with Maya. Um, and she is, uh, you know, what the military people might call a simulant sympathizer, mm-hmm. a simulant empathizer. And like, that's the, like, so essentially the emotional journey this character has to go through, Joshua Taylor does, is like reprogramming his brain from pro-human to, I guess, pro-empathy or like maybe not all simulants are bad. And mm-hmm. the problem we have as the, that I had as the audience, I should say, is that it's made so clear that this should not be a struggle for any rational person, much less the protagonist of this film. Protagonist, callback to Tenet, another character uh, name for him. Um, <laughs> that that it's just it's not very dramatic, and what ends up happening is we get this this sort of road trip buddy movie between him and and Alfie, and she's this football that keeps getting handed off it's almost MacGuffin-esque where we're just trying to follow her and hopefully he makes the right call by the end but we don't know if he's gonna except of course we do like that's how this has to go and that's where yeah. this movie loses its originality and thereby a lot of its tension I think 
I agree. I was never really worried at any point. No, no, not a bit. Um, so seven for me, 6.3 for you. At this point, I'm okay moving into spoilers if you are. Does that sound okay to you, Johnny? 100%. All right, then this is your last warning. Uh, like I said, it's been out in theaters for a couple weeks, but if you haven't seen The Creator yet, I recommend pausing the podcast, then seeing the movie, and then coming back and listening. Or if you don't want to see the movie or you just don't want it spoiled and you're not going to go see it yet, just jump forward. Look in our episode notes. You can skip forward to the next beer section. It'll be written there, and you can skip spoilers altogether. But in the meantime, brace yourselves, because here comes the Danger Zone. Danger, danger zone, zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Welcome to the Danger Zone. It's where we are spoiling this film. So Maya, his wife, is Nermada. She is the creator of of all AI. Is that was that your impression? No, that can't be no, right. No, I got the impression that she was the creator of of Alfie because yeah. she was the first AI made from um, a scan of a human embryo. Okay. So she sure. can actually grow. Whereas it seemed like all the other AI are kind of copy, like they use the phrase copy and pasted. Like yeah, yeah. I didn't get the impression a lot of the other AI are going to be like growing, like I didn't see any AI children. And if there were, they might just always be children. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. I've got a lot of questions about the ins and outs of this. Like they don't spend a lot of time a explaining like Alvi's powers. It's kind of like whenever she prays, she gets whatever she wants. And then also mm -hmm. there's one point where Sturgill Simpson by the country singer is in this. And he yeah, plays out of nowhere. Uh, he plays Drew, like one of one of Joshua Taylor's old military dudes, and he's also falling in love with the simulant. He's like living in New Asia, doing his own thing. Um, mm -hmm. He essentially like takes a flashlight and looks in Alfie's ears, and with no other explanation, Dias just goes like, "This is the most advanced tech I've ever seen." As she grows, so will the machine, or something like that. Like her powers, yeah, yeah. But like literally, he's saying like the body she's in, which is mostly mechanical, will also grow. And that's mm -hmm. never explained, which I think is probably for the best, because even if they had, it would have felt super expositional and weird. But I was thinking yeah. about it. I was like, what are they, how are they, how would you do it? Is it like nanotechnology? Is it, right. is it, I don't know. I have no idea. And I think that's maybe why they didn't explore it, because there's no way to explain it. And it's easier to explain. Yeah, let's She's just, just going to grow. <laughs> leave that disbelief suspended way up there on the shelf. Yeah. The, the reason I asked about um, Maya being the original creator here is that, um, yeah, you're right. She created Alfie and then her dad was also in the ai game to some extent he did some mm -hmm. stuff but as i was thinking that i also remembered that the movie starts with some like 1960s looking footage of old school robots who were like and like yeah. and everybody like, hey well you're gonna want you're gonna want ai in your house you're gonna want robots in your house. they can do your chores for you they can pick your kids up from school they can breastfeed your kids it didn't say all that but it was like that and mm -hmm. so it's been going around for a while in this universe and then sure enough it's like a nuclear bomb has gone off. And then we find out that, of course, it was like human error that launched the nuke, which makes total sense because that's what would happen probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's I'm just rambling. I'm just remembering the movie now as I'm speaking. But yeah, uh, I think one of the things that was the most distracting about this movie was how much they wanted us to invest in these characters so quickly with no context or backstory. I get it. John David Washington's character, Joshua, and then Maya, his wife, um, their whole story was lived through flashbacks. That's yep. fine. But the, the the general shows up and and uh the what is what was her name? Um the character or the actor? Allison Janney, the yeah. Colonel. Colonel Howe. Uh, you know, the, they like just show up and they're like, Hey Josh, your wife's alive. Here's a video that totally proves she's alive, right. even though people are replicated all the time now. 
do you want to go on a mission with us? Flash to being in the airplane. It's like, how does he know these people? Does he know these people? Like, I don't know. There was a lot of character development that didn't exist in this movie. It Mm -hmm. felt like the only real character development was Joshua and Alfie. Yeah. Like the two main characters were the only ones that had any sort of arc. Everyone else was just these unidimensional pillars of a character that had no nuance and it was frustrating and like yeah like sturgill simpson i would love to have had like any backstory about how he knows this guy or just other Mm -hmm. than i've got a friend because when he dies three minutes later yeah (laughs) i didn't care no dude i don't i just don't care give the movie credit they gave you like a 45 second flashback scene with these two like sitting on a hill like sniper style but they weren't shooting anybody where he's like sending him in to go be embedded and he uh you know drew the drew character is like don't go native on me, brother, or something like that. And then, like, smash cut to, you know, five years later where he's, quote, unquote, gone native. Like, that's the backstory you need. That's all they give you. And you're right. It's 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 shorthand. It's very uh, presumptuous of the film to think that we, as the audience, will be emotionally involved from that. And yeah. I would make the same case for, for Josh and Maya. I don't think, you know, nearly enough groundwork is laid there. Um, I don't know. I, I struggle with that quite a bit. Yeah, there, there was a shallowness to that that... I thought that's what's keeping this movie from being, mm-hmm. you know, fantastic. Even if it is a bit derivative, if they would have taken more care with these characters and given me a more engaging plot and more development and more reasons to just give a shit about these people, yeah. then I would have been way more in on this movie and it would have rated way higher. But the fact right. that it didn't, it's going to keep it in the very not memorable category. Like, very entertaining. You were spot on. It's gorgeous. But not a memorable movie. It's not the best sci-fi movie I've even seen this year. I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say not memorable, but I do agree with you. Like it's, it's a movie to get back to those questions that I ask myself. It's a movie that is saying something new kind of, but not fully. And it does a pretty good job of that. And it's also a movie that has a language that it establishes. Um, and I don't mean literally, I just mean as a film, like it's got a tone, it's got a language, it's got a world that it's, pretty good at at getting across it's not amazing but it's pretty good and those two things make for a pretty good movie not not world-class necessarily but a pretty good movie um so i i don't i think it's i think it's pretty good you know it made me want to watch blade runner blade runner 2049 and the wrath of khan those are the the three movies that you should watch if you feel like watching this movie yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more a fan of 2049 than I am of the OG Blade Runner. I think the OG Blade Runner has some issues um, thematically and and um, ethically from the world in the film, also ethically from a, from a you know, protagonist standpoint. I don't think Harrison Ford is that likable in that movie. You can make the argument he's not supposed to be, but I do think there's a lot that Ridley Scott puts on his character to invest in, and it never works for me. But mm. in 2049 with Ryan Gosling's character... Um, by the way, every time they said simulant, I had a hard time not hearing replicant in this movie, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe, you know, a smart move on the part of Gareth Edwards by uh, like echoing a language that we all sort of subconsciously understand from movies like this. But uh, it yeah. nonetheless was very similar. But I think that's smart because they're they're sort of speaking about similar ideas and and competing yeah. ideologies with with humans, the man versus machine. Right. It's the same as yep. the Matrix. It's the same. Speaking of which, there's a great like remote controlled thing that looked a lot like a sentinel from the Matrix in, in the final sequences of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think Madeline Univoyles as Alfie gives probably no, definitely the best performance in the whole movie. She has a line where I think she's crying, scared that she's about to die, and says, Am I gonna go to heaven now? or something like that. 
which yeah. really got me, you know? Um, and she does a good job. You know, she's, I think this is her feature film debut, if not film debut in general. Um, and she's great. She's, she did everything she was asked in this movie. I think very, very effectively. Um, so I'm, I'm in on that. I'm excited to see what else she's in, in the future. Yeah. Agreed. She did great as uh, AI Neo. Loved it. Sure. You got anything else in this movie? Um, I mean, watch it for entertainment value, but don't expect a lot of substance. Enjoy the fluff and the beauty of it. If you see it and you're not entertained and you picked up on a ton of substance, please let us know. Again, 530-433-0839 or shoot us an email at fhccast at gmail.com. After all this pandering, my mouth has gone dry, so it's time for beer number two. Don't go anywhere. All right, we got beer number two in front of us, and it smells like a beer that you're not going to like, dude. What is beer number yeah. two? Uh, it's Highway to the Danker Zone. It's a hazy West Coast double IPA. Hazy West Coast. Those are words that don't normally go together. I yeah, know. we'll see. It's 8.4%, so that's not nothing. From their website, we love Nelson hops. They exhibit unique, juicy white wine flavors, unlike any other hop. There's really no other hop quite like them. Here's a double IPA that is crushable in spite of its 8.4% ABV and loaded with Nelson hops as well as smaller amounts of Citra and Simcoe. Notes of citrus, white wine, and gooseberries because Top Gun. Sure. That's a nice tie-in. I Did you think of that? Does it say that? It says gooseberries, and I'm like, obviously, yeah, I've right. got to mention. Nice call. Yeah. Okay, it's a it's a royal blue can. There's a fighter jet on it swooping around in the jet stream. Says Highway to the, and then underneath in the stylistic copying of the Top Gun film, it says Danker Zone, and then all the information you just said, Johnny Summers. It's in my glass. I'm excited about it. I've only smelled it. I'm looking at it. You could have told me this was a New England IPA. I'm not totally sure of the linguistic distinction made by Hazy West Coast, aside from perhaps the selection of hops, but. Uh, that's just speculation on my part. Well, I've tried it. And? It is a hazy, bitter beer. Like very, very West Coast IPA that has just been maybe just unfiltered, perhaps. But nothing in this recipe really indicates. I mean, there's a bit of juice around the edges. But at its core, this beer is a a West Coast IPA. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the vibe I'm picking up. I mean, I don't think so. I think... I think at its core, it's a New England IPA that has elements of bitterness on the back burner, back burner being a reference to the jet plane, that is meant to perhaps confuse the senses enough so that them writing West Coast on the can might make you actually think it is one. But I think, yeah, uh-uh. I've only, I've only had one sip. I've had one sip. I, I could be wrong, but I think we are being, and by we, I mean you, misled by the fact that it says West Coast. And I think, you know... I don't think so. I think you want to like this beer and I think you're yeah. going to go a little bit farther. You're going to bend over a little bit further backwards than you might normally because it's cellar maker. But I will say having no skin in this game, this is a, this is a new England IPA, my friend. <laughs> in everything. Yeah, but I, name. I, I have to, yeah, it's just a tough one to kind of figure out. I have to uh, evaluate. Is this something that I'm just wanting the bitterness to shine through more than it actually is? Or is it, really there and it's the most prominent thing for me because it does have a lot of juice oh it totally does yeah i mean it there's bitterness too particularly on the back end I, and i think that's also characteristic of some more aggressive new england ipas as well that's not exclusive to west coast stuff mm-hmm. 
but I don't. And again, this is not in case people are, are new to this and don't know this. I'm not a professional beer brewer, so maybe there is a distinction stylistically that I am unable due to ignorance to make. But from just tasting it and and looking at it and smelling it, this is about as New England IPA as, as New England IPAs come. I'd push back, man. It's not nearly as sweet. I, I'm like the first thing that I get is a hoppy bitterness. Let me try it again. Yeah, for me, it's it's hitting hops right up front, and then like a wave of of once the bitterness subsides, a little bit of juice, and then it finishes with that dry, hoppy West Coast finish. I think this is more West Coast than East Coast. That's what that's what I'm saying. All right, I let's start on common ground. Definitely, there's bitterness, dryness even on mm-hmm. on the back end. There is also bitterness up front, but it's brief. For me, if we're you know, it's 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 far and away the majority of the of the one drink experience is is a is a is a punchy sort of aggressive sweetness that that does have bitterness all the way through but the bitterness is quickly tamped down by the sweetness and the juiciness that happens for for me at least see the the bitterness for me kind of is a through note like I know I juices, agree. I agree, but it's not the loudest like, through point for the whole time. It's it's there in the beginning a little bit, and then it's there at the end, but it gets muted. It gets washed away in a flood of juiciness. Well, I think that's probably a key difference between a hazy beer that's traditionally sweet and something that's a West Coast IPA in any capacity is Fair the enough. fact that there is bitterness front to back, even in a small degree. I agree there is some juice and some sweetness that comes in, and that haze kind of starts to, to the, those waves start to lap up on the shore. But I think that the, the real thing that ties the room together is, are those bitter notes from those hops that that front, middle, back, even the aftertaste, it's, it's a hoppy beer, man. Like, You're right. Okay. Let me, let me take back what I said about being about this being as new England as they come. You're right. That's not the case. Um, and I agree with you. It is, it's, it's maybe that's the distinction here between a hazy West coast and a, a just a hazy IPA or a new England IPA. There is this bitterness. I for me though, it's still. I'd say it's like eighty percent sweetness and juiciness, and then it's it's rounded off on either end, or rather sharpened on either end by bitterness. I we haven't <laughs> even gotten to this. Do you like it? I like it. I don't think I love it. Okay, I'm in the same boat. I think it's good, um, but I don't think I love it either. No, I will say that it is very unique in its mm-hmm. composition. Mm-hmm. There, you know, I am not used to seeing a beer that aesthetically looks like it's going to be super sweet like this, and then have that that punchy bitterness that you get from a West Coast. Mm-hmm. I'd say this bitterness is different than a lot of the hazy beers that we've done that I enjoy, like the yeah. Treehouses, mm-hmm. you know, the the um, Alchemist, some of those sure. beers, where yes, they are East Coast IPAs, they are hazy, they are very New Englandy, but they have that bitterness. Those feel different to me than this. It's just a a different bitterness, and I don't know specifically what metric with which to quantify that. I just like vibe alone. I'm feeling a different like it's hitting different parts of my tongue, and I feel like maybe the sweetness and the bitterness in this particular beer exist a bit more separately. Where those some of those New England IPAs that I've liked, they have that like a form of bitterness, but it's intermingled with that sweetness that it's 
almost indistinguishable where the bitterness and the sweetness start. Whereas this one feels really bifurcated. Those flavors are running a parallel course and they intersect briefly in the middle, but then they go right back to running side by side for me. That's an interesting take. I don't, I don't think I disagree. I think you're probably on the right track there. I, I could see that for sure. There's, there's a couple scenes in the creator where I think it's usually John David Washington is like standing in a field and in the not too far distance, like a bomb will be dropped or, or a grenade will go off and mm-hmm. it explodes. And then just before it gets to him, it dies off. And then sure enough, like a hundred yards behind him, another bomb goes off. And the reason I thought of that is because also on this can are little tiny bombs being dropped from this fighter jet, which um, as the head of the bomb are essentially hops. And when you were describing this flavor experience, it is a lot like being John David Washington. In the distance, there's a little bit of bitterness that gets dropped, and then it hits you, but very quickly, instead of getting hit by that blast, you get washed over with the juiciness of the back blast of that original blast. And then right when you think you're out of the woods, another bitter blast hits you from behind, and that's another bomb being dropped. And I think uh, in a very fortuitous tie-in of art and beer drinking experience, this is the perfect combo for this can. Art. I like it. I like it. It's a weird beer to figure out, though. Huh? This is one of the more unique flavor compositions of a hazy IPA that we've done in maybe ever on yeah. the show. I mean, this is this is kind of a tough one to figure out. This is this is challenging our acumen as professional drinkers, mm-hmm. which I like. It's nice to be challenged with with new flavors and kind of you know this new com- combination to to figure out and make sense of. It's yeah, it's very unique. I will give you that and. I would say people should try this just on that alone. Like if you have tried a zillion craft beers and and you want to try something that will maybe challenge your sensibilities stylistically uh, as to what in the actual heck it actually is, this is a, it's a fun beer to try. It's a little bit like that time we had that beer called um, called Ain't Getting Any Debtor, I think is what it was called from Green Cheek Brewing. It was a California yeah. IPA. Um, Now double checking, it was episode 266 of this show. And prior to drinking it, you and I were both like, all right, quit mincing words. Like, what's a California IPA? And to this day, I can't tell you with words what it is, but I know when we tried it, we were like, this is new. This is something different. And I think Mm -hmm. we we both gave that beer glowing scores. They might have even been 10s from both of us. And I think part of the reason, at least that I gave it a 10, was that originality. So since having this discussion now of this, I know that I've got a little more love for it than I did just initially tasting it because of this this sort of novelty of it, this new new approach. Not approach, yeah. perhaps, but new I experience mean, for me. When you said that, it made me think of the the Pacific Northwest IPA, if you recall, from oh, Juan Ebert. Um, the, I do remember that vaguely. And we're just making up styles that are region-specific now, and I'm kind of into it because – they challenge the the preconceived notions of what an IPA should be. And like yeah. we talk all the time about kind of the newer wave of, you know, modern IPAs that is has kind of come to fruition over the last few years that's kind of dominated the landscape of smaller craft breweries that there's a certain like new gen IPA flavor slash recipe that's taken over. Yes. It's hard to quantify, but when you taste it, you know that you're tasting it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love that that this is happening. We've got California IPAs. We've got Pacific Northwest IPAs. Now we've got hazy West Coast double IPAs. Like, what are we doing here? Cats living with dogs, mass hysteria. It makes no sense, and I'm here for it. To clarify, it was actually a Northwest IPA, not a Pacific Northwest IPA. 
And it was I called, just added the P. It was called Volatile Substance. Love that beer. Uh, you did. You gave it a 10. I gave it a 9. Again, that was Von Ebert Brewing. Uh, 6.9% straightforward IPA in, in terms of ABV. But yeah, great beer. Great brewery. Great beer. Um, let's give this here beer, Highway to the Danker Zone, a rating out of 10, Johnny. I think it's intriguing. It's unique. It's original. It challenges your palate in a way that I find quite invigorating and refreshing to break from the status quo. It feels like a decent score is in order. Yeah, this feels like an 8-3. I like it. Great score. For me, it's a 7. I also like it. It's got a couple extra points, at least one extra point for being so original and, and something that has caused me to question a few, a few things and, and then have a discussion about it. And I enjoy that sort of thing. Do you have anything else on a highway to the Danker Zone? It's available now in Chico, and that's rad. If you've never tried either of these beers or anything from Cellar Maker, try them. How much they're, are these? They're always um, not on the cheap side. I think six and seven, respectively. It's all right. You know, it's a single. And you said SNS, right? Yeah. All right. Well, you, listener, if you have any feedback on on pretty much anything we've discussed today, like I've said a few times, you can call, you can text us our number, get your phone out. It's probably already out. Save this number, 530-433-0833. Again, punch it in with your little pudgy fingers, 530-433-0839. Don't know why I added that. Or feel free to send a good old-fashioned email to FHCCast if you can get your pudgy fingers to type on the keyboard. Next week, we'll be covering Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a film from Martin Scorsese. Uh, hits theaters this weekend. And we're going to be drinking beers from Imprint Brewing out of Hatfield, Pennsylvania. In the meantime, strap yourselves in. Here comes Hot and Bothered. Hot and Bothered. Welcome to Hot and Bothered. It's where we catch up with each other and maybe give you some off-the-record recommendations that uh, didn't necessarily, despite their good qualities, make the uh, the old ticker tape episode title. Um, I'm not sure what you have this week, dude, but I have nothing. So by all means, take it away. You got nothing, and we got to get out of here fairly quick. You got to go pay he, the bills. He, I've been watching more Suits. I told you I finished The Wheel of Time. Um, yep. I've been playing a lot of shows, so I don't have any new you know, books or movies or streaming shows or... Um, I think it's usually the stuff that I talk about. So I, I've got well, nothing. I got nothing new. All right. Well, I want to note in there for next week because you've said in the past you were reading three books at once, and I wanted you to talk about one of them. But I know we're pressed for time. Oh, I can't believe you remember that. Okay, you say something, then I'll, I'll mention another well, book. I, I love books yeah. and I love book recommendations. I Fair think enough. it's really it's almost intimate having someone recommend a book that they get or affects them in some way, and then you read it and. Books are deeper than a lot of forms of art. So note for next week, I want a book recommendation from Max Minardi. Great. Um, so in the interest of time, I will keep it brief. Uh, all of the things on my list are just one thing. I went to Roselle for the first time. It is a new craft a local cocktail, craft cocktail bar in Miriam Park. Uh, some friends that I've known for a long time are behind it. Uh, so it was fun to finally get in there and check it out. And it was a good excuse because friend of the show and patron Chris Gomez actually posted on Chico Beer Enthusiasts uh, that there was a tap takeover from Humble Sea Brewing out of mm. Santa Cruz. And their brewer, Andrew, was there at Roselle. He is also a longtime buddy and former bartender at the old Winchester Goose. Just a kind of a great Chico staple that cool. moved away and is doing some really rad things with beer and some some wild fermentation and has kind of helped do some big things at 
humble sea. So it was really fun to catch up with him and talk beer and talk shop. And he was doing a DJ set afterwards, and he's been doing a lot of DJ gigs that go all night and just wild stuff. So he's a, one of the more interesting men in the world. Uh, so it was always fun to catch up with him, drink some great beers. Uh, friend of the show, Brian McGillivray, or however the hell you say his name, That's he was there. It. That's sweet. I nailed it. Uh, and then Chris and Alexis were there. I was there. Uh, who else was there? Oh, we saw Alec Tidwell was there and um, Lucas. A bunch of like the old Goose Crew was there. Mm-hmm. Stephen Hall was there. It was just a it's kind like of the a new hipster a- spot. Is that what you're saying? It's like the new hipster spot <laughs> for, for people that are like too old to be actual hipsters. Yeah. Boom. Roasted. Wow. That was complimentary and insulting <laughs> at the same time. Good work. Uh, yeah. So you should hang out there, Max. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be there next week. Sounds great. Obviously. I'm sure you'll be playing on the patio for brunch soon. <laughs> uh, right. But it was rad, though. It was cool seeing a bunch of like the old crew that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, fancy cocktails. They, you know, it was a weird setup where they you order with a QR code at the bar. You don't talk to a bartender and ask them what you want. You just order on your phone, and then they like put it on the QR code. To clarify, like, you, can this- order, you can order from a bartender. That's some criticism I've heard about this place that isn't true. Some people are like, no, you can't even talk to a bartender. Like, when I, when I want to go to bars, I want to, I want to talk to a bartender. Shut up. You can. You just don't have to. That's one of the perks of the place. Just to well, I mean, be that's clear great. about that. Okay. Well, I love that. Right. I was told by Chris Gomez that you order with your phone. So if you accuse anyone of being curmudgeonly, <laughs> it would be him. You totally can. Uh, I called out. He is a curmudgeon. So, yes. Uh, but it was solid, man. Great beers, good times, good hangs. And then other than that, I laid low all weekend. It was pretty chill. So Sweet. not too much to report for me either. Okay, one of the books that I'm reading, just since it did come up again, you asked me for this last week. It's a book by I Nick did. Trenton. It's called Stop Overthinking, colon, 23 Techniques to Relieve Stress, Stop Negative Spirals, Declutter Your Mind, and Focus on the Present. Um, I just, it dawned on me in the past couple of years that maybe I don't know everything about how to live my best life. And maybe it Makes shouldn't sense. just be like, well, this is what I feel like, you know, maybe I should do a little bit of work on myself with the help of others. So, um, in addition to keeping up on like, I think last week I told you about the book, the lies of Locke Lamora, which is sort of a, a fantasy thief book. Um, I also yeah, read like things who, that are real to see who done it. Totally. Not, not quite a done it, but no, but listen back to that if you need two people, but, okay. um, I enjoy, I, I enjoy a fantasy read as much as the next person. Um, but I also like uh, making my life m- more fantastic. So I also like stuff like this. So if you want, I've enjoyed it so far. It's um, it's going for, I'm looking now. It's got, um, it's like 10 bucks for a paperback if you're an Amazon person. Um, if you're a Kindle person, you got it for like four bucks. It's also on Audible. So you can do any of those. And again, it's called Stop Overthinking. If you type that in and you also type in Nick Trenton, you will find it. Uh, and I think worthwhile if you want to uh, pick up some good habits. So that's where I'm at with that. Would you classify that as like a self-help book? Or oh, yeah. Would this be, yeah? I mean, I think so, yeah. What's What, okay. what was the other option? Uh, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't It's either. definitely not like fiction. Like that's the category it would fall under. I just wanted to verify that. Yeah, I would, like self-improvement, self-help. Um, I don't think mindfulness is a category or like a section you see in Barnes & Noble, but that would should maybe be. qualify there too. Who knows? But it's not like meditation. <laughs> like I think mindfulness would be like meditation and like – this is more, I guess it's a form of meditation. I don't know. Who knows? I'll I mean, tell it you is when I get very to the like, end of it. It is very like Buddhist, like stop overthinking, totally. like too many mind, think less, focus. So yeah, 
Huh. All right. Well, I just used my newest Audible credit, so I won't be buying that this month, but maybe I'll look into it next month. Fair enough. Uh, as usual, this show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi and everybody on Patreon. If you want some sweet details on a great place to buy beer, go listen to the top of the show. We have a, a real big secret to let you in on. And in the meantime, until next week, my name is Max Minardi. My name's Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us. Drink some tasty beers. Try some Cellar Maker. Why not? Uh, we'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.